0: Welcome to the Clear Points podcast, where we discuss optimizing customer experience by focusing on engagement points along the customer journey. Clear Points is a production of Clearpoint Health, a North Carolina consulting firm that helps healthcare providers and life sciences companies get to know their patients, customers, and key stakeholders and meet their needs more effectively. Clear Points airs on the Parklife Podcast Network.
1: Hey, welcome back to Clear Points. I'm your host, Brian Castle. And this week we are back with two of my favorite people in the whole wide world and a pair of the smartest individuals I've ever met. Paul Mead, founder of ClearPoint Health, and our colleague who runs Insights, KOL, Medical Insights, the ClearPoint Mark Schumann. Paul, welcome back to the podcast. We have a special topic, don't we? Patient engagement. How are you doing?
2: Great. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about patient engagement.
1: Yeah. So earlier this year, uh, I I know uh, we started talking about ways to innovate and and branch out our uh, abilities, our capabilities to serve healthcare in some different ways. And and I know um, from your background, your interests, you've always, any any piece of work we've ever tried to do for a life sciences company, you've tried to keep the end beneficiary, the patients, uh, in mind. So now uh, I'm proud to talk to you after we've Successfully launched the new patient engagement division here at ClearPoint Health. Um, so I just hinted at it a little bit, but can you give us in your own words what the impetus was for getting into this growing space and why you thought we were uniquely positioned to make make our own impact here?
2: Thanks, Brian. Sure. Well, you know, patient engagement is not new. It's obviously been around for a long time. The patient is is the ultimate end customer in healthcare. So um, it's not that suddenly we're finding that we need to engage the patient. But we've learned a lot throughout the years. And in our business, we have been involved in gathering information and helping customer experience improve. And in reality, patient engagement is is just an extension of customer experience. Um, but what's a little bit different is that the age of information has exploded. The ability of patients to find information about healthcare, and there have been a lot of studies that have shown recently that an engaged patient has better, improved outcomes in their treatment. So you know the patient voice is growing companies are working to incorporate those insights into their design of their products their services their clinical trials and so it's really important that as we move forward that companies really understand the best way to engage with patients also i will add that the the pandemic has basically accelerated uh, the movement towards that so that we we know patients were always important but Now with telehealth visits going on and patients engaging more directly with their providers and through the technology, it it becomes even more important now because I don't believe even after uh, the pandemic is gone and vaccines are around, that telehealth is gonna disappear, that patients may find engaging with their providers uh, much easier by doing it from home on their computer So we think this is going to be around for a long time. So
1: as a result of getting into this space and and doing some um, proof-of-concept projects uh, for some client companies here in the U.S. and Canada, um, we're launching a pair of key services aimed at life sciences companies. Uh, One we've done off and on for a long time Uh, patient flow mapping, and then also something that I see as just the latest riff on our core skill set, and that's helping build patient insights platforms for these companies and develop action plans based on those insights as we help gather the data and shine a light on the trends and patterns we're seeing where they can make a better impact on patients. So What kind of value do you think we can bring our life sciences companies, our traditional client base, what value can we bring them with regard to patient engagement?
2: Uh, Good question. I think that what most companies are trying to do right now is to incorporate the voice of the patient into their products and services so that it can impact the outcomes on multiple fronts. So I think what what our role in this is to help our clients understand what they can do better to engage the patient. What is the role of the patient? Understanding what the patient is going through and there are multiple fronts. So as you talk about patient journey maps, for instance, well, there isn't just one patient journey map. I mean, you can go to a number of of, uh, healthcare providers and ask them to describe the journey of a patient. And that's gonna have a fairly clinical orientation. But if you go to the patient and try to get their insights into their journey through the healthcare uh, environment, then oftentimes you've got different layers. For instance, how knowledgeable and educated is the patient in their disease? What is the level of their decision-making or partnering with the care providers in the decision-making of their care? And thirdly, you've got the emotional journey. What is the emotional state of a patient going through a journey, a healthcare journey? Now, that's going to vary widely. if, If you're sitting in front of a doctor and they say, Brian, I've got some bad news for you. You have stage four lung cancer. Well, I'm going to talk to you about all the different options you have, but you're probably not going to hear anything after you hear lung cancer. And therefore, you're going down an incredibly emotional journey. And providers and and healthcare companies, they all need to understand that. What is the patient's emotional journey? What's the patient's you know, decision-making involvement. What's the patient's knowledge and where can they get this knowledge and where are they getting this knowledge? So we're tr- we're trying to bring all these insights and wrap that around our clients so they can better engage the patient, better improve the patient experience going through the healthcare.
1: So with regard to patient maps, you've been very careful to tell me that, you know, some some um, service providers like ClearPoint focus on more of the patient journey to influence provider decisions. What we're doing is looking at patient flow. And, and I know from my client work, patient flow mapping is so important because it, if if medical affairs, for example, is all about engaging the right stakeholders, patient flow mapping really helps you understand in, in some of these wider therapeutic areas that we work in. And, you know, I do a lot of work in diabetes and obesity. There are a lot of different pathways in those. And so I learned this week, one of my clients was talking about a comorbidity that they're going after. And you know, they said we've done some patient flow mapping, and this was in response to us asking questions about do you want to engage these types of specialties? And and they say, well the patient flow mapping tells us one, two, three, four, five different types of specialists are involved. So I'm impressed with the level of precision we're able to give people on this and ultimately it is like walking along with the patients isn't it to get this info
2: yeah you know it used to be that um i used to describe a patient journey map to our clients as imagine strapping a gopro camera on your forehead and then getting sick and going through you may and you may go through the emergency department you might get admitted into inpatient or you might be released from emergency and follow up visit. But I would say, imagine being able to videotape that whole journey and seeing what goes on. But I've learned since then that the journey doesn't begin when you get sick. That actually the journey begins much earlier. So that, you know, we have to look at pre-entry into the hospital system What's going on with the patient? What are the symptoms that they began to notice? What did they do about that? Where did they get their information? Where did they go? Who did they talk to? And as their symptoms progressed, suddenly they realized, I've got to go see a healthcare provider. What was, what was the trigger that made that decision? What are the things they went through to decide I've got to go do something about it? So now there's a whole other element of a journey that we haven't even begun to capture well. And then there's the, I've finished going through the healthcare system. Now what? Well, now I'm at home, but I probably are on a new medication. I may have to change my diet. I may have to change my exercise and fitness plan. I may have to modify my lifestyle because I have a chronic condition. So what does my life look like beyond my journey into the healthcare system? And so as we begin to think about this expansive uh, journey that a patient goes through, you know, we begin to look at how that intersects very neatly with our digital insights focus, because not only does the patient have access to more information, So do we, and we can begin to capture that. And so for our clients to be able to better understand that entire journey, not only makes them better suited to engage with the patients, but better suited to engage with healthcare providers because now they both are sympathetic to understanding the needs of a patient journey.
1: So same question, different service. you know, our colleague, Mark Schumann, uh, who we're going to be talking to in a little bit and revisiting digital engagement with him, you know, he's really pioneered, along with, with you, Paul, creating insights platforms for companies. And, and we've done a lot of work with the whole MSL, KOL interface for biopharma, um, how do you think we can bring that the same level of value, which I think is pretty great on that front with regard to patient engagement?
2: Well, that's um, it's a challenge that every company is faced with right now. And you and I are hearing that from our clients. Um, they're all trying to figure out, what do I do with patient engagement? <laughs> what does that mean for us as a company? And how do we create value from that? And, and so we're trying to help our clients understand, well, where are you? We want to do an assessment capability. We want to create a tool that is going to basically say, well, here's where we are as a company with patient engagement, and here's where our competitors are. And you know, to that end, we're doing a large study across the industry to create a benchmark of Where's everybody currently in the area of patient engagement? And where do you need to go? How do you need to develop programs to be competitive in that space? And um, and kind of where are you? So one of the value adds that we're looking at doing is helping companies understand where are you? How do you stack against your competitors? What are they doing? What should you be doing? And where should you be headed? in the next three to five years. And that's a big value that we believe we're providing to our customers in this whole
0: patient engagement space. ClearPoints is brought to you by ClearPoint Health on the Parklife Podcast Network. CPH has been a leader in healthcare customer experience for nearly two decades. Contact us today at clearpointhealth.com to learn more about our work to help you optimize virtual engagement of key stakeholders during COVID-19.
2: Welcome back to ClearPoints. I'm Paul Mead, and today we're joined by Mark Schumann. So Mark, on our last episode, um, you and Brian were discussing the importance of the biopharmaceutical medical science liaisons and their focus on digital engagement. But you were talking about the importance of content, and I want you to take us back through those elements. It's really necessary to create that content that will be compelling to KOLs. Thank you,
3: Paul. I appreciate that. So uh, just to refresh, in in our last podcast, as you mentioned, we were talking about what key elements or specific components of of content um, really drive the effectiveness of that content and effectiveness defined in terms of how carewells, how they will actually interpret and integrate the information that you are sharing. So we over time have, in the last decade, been reaching out to key opinion leaders, external experts, And collecting feedback from them in terms of their experiences. And what I mean by this, through a series of tools, um, we have reached out to them, whether it be an online survey, interviews, uh, et cetera. Uh, We have collected information that we have quantified and coded and come up with a broad-based, what we could call maybe meta-analysis. Um, of key elements that impact, that positively impact uh, the effectiveness of communications between the company and the key external expert. So, what I'm going to take you through are five key criteria that we've identified from doing this meta analysis. And to be clear, that these five key criteria will apply not only to digital content, they apply to when you design the experience, thinking about when your MSL or your sales rep is going to go in and do a face-to-face meeting. This is also going to apply if now, during the pandemic, these five key principles will apply as well. Uh, If you are going in and you are doing a Zoom call or a virtual call. And as you... Start to think about using additional, perhaps, social media tools to drive digital engagement. Um, these five key principles will apply as well. So let's let's talk about the five key principles. And again, this is based on the research that we've done. The communication number one, perhaps most important, needs to be relevant. And what do I mean by relevant? Relevant to that individual's clinical practice, their research interests, um, and even potentially the product portfolio that they are using with their patients. Um, It is challenging because now this mitigates the idea that, well, we can just essentially um, use one understanding of relevance. It really drives home the idea of customized messaging What is relevant to me may not be relevant to you. So it really becomes incumbent on companies to, number one, understand their customer, have a persona or some sort of, whether it be your CRM system or some sort of classification where you can put customers into certain buckets and potentially have a very unique and customized targeted perspective of what is relevant to that customer. Um, so, point number one relevance. And again, do you have the supporting systems that enable your frontline teams to effectively determine what relevant means for that specific individual customer? Secondly, a key value driver or key driver of value within these engagements is novelty, the idea of newness of the information. One of the comments we get in all of the work when we engage key external esper- experts to assess their um, experience in terms of engaging with pharmaceutical companies, sales reps, MSLs, medical, etc., is the idea of I want new information. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean the information needs to be new, so I can only reach out when I've got new clinical trial information. This extends beyond that. This extends uh, to the idea of perhaps the information may be old, but I'm presenting it in a different way. Or the information, yes, may be dated, but I'm applying it to a new problem or new challenge that's emerging so the idea being can you present the information in a novel and interesting way that essentially captures the attention of your audience so again relevant is it relevant is it novel And one of the complaints, as I say, what we've had, most of the complaints we have when we ask key opinion leaders, how can pharmaceutical companies improve engagement? One of the key comments you hear in every survey is don't send a rep or an MSL to keep telling me the same thing. I want to hear something new. So a key consideration. The third key element, which we've identified, is impartiality. And essentially what this means is putting the patient first. If you are going to engage with me, you need to proactively demonstrate that this communication is one of the objectives or the underlying rationale is to put the patient first. Any perception of bias or partiality, is significantly going to decrease the effectiveness of the communication. So in practical terms, this may mean actually alluding to a competitor's product and talking about where the benefits are relative to yours. It's purposefully demonstrating that we are doing this to put the patients first to drive scientific communication for the greater good. Um, and again, when we look at the correlation to overall performance scores, this variable, this notion of putting the patient first, this notion of impart- is the information uh, impartial and unbiased is one of the key factors that will drive your overall performance score up or down. It's highly associated with an overall performance score. The fourth variable is which we like to call expertise. And what do we mean by that? It's actively demonstrating to whoever you're engaging with that you have both an understanding of the clinical practice, of the research, um, etc. So this is really – this is done differently when you have a face-to-face or virtual engagement. Um, this can be done by demonstrating your breadth of understanding, um, your understanding of the science. Um, so, again, a key, key element. The fifth and the last element is responsiveness. It's in terms of if I engage with you, are you responsive to my needs? Do you demonstrate responsiveness? So, in every conversation or communication, particularly if it's taking place between To individuals, there generally is going to be the need for the presentation of materials to support particular arguments or support particular statements. And again, your ability to be able to deliver these not in a week, not in two weeks, but to deliver those the same day or the next day actively demonstrates to the other individual in that conversation, that you they are being heard and that their concerns are being addressed. So let me take a step back at this point, Paul. So we have these five key variables, relevance, novelty, putting the patient first, demonstrating expertise and responsiveness. And how we apply them is probably different from when you have a sales rep or an MSL going in and engaging to digital communication. However, at the higher level, these are still the key principles that we believe, based on our research, needs to be applied uh, to drive that engagement.
2: Great, thanks, Mark. Um, let's let's go a little bit further because you know in this um, pandemic age, you know we were looking for alternatives to the face-to-face meeting. And while you say these um, these principles still apply, um, do companies have to do something differently to apply these five principles in a, in a way that's more kind of consistent with the digital engagement or virtual engagement?
3: Yeah, I think that's the great question. And I think that is the challenge. So as we're moving out of the pandemic now, um, companies are specifically thinking around what is the channel that they're going to use in terms of engaging their customers, their, ex- their external exports, HCPs, KOLs, et cetera? And what is interesting is I think that many companies, based on the fact that face-to-face was the key channel of engagement or method of engagement for the last 50 years, um, a lot of companies, I think, have a really good sense and good training programs around how they can apply these key principles, these relationship drivers, uh, to face to face. I'm not saying that they can't be improved, um, but you know a lot of companies doing this, I'd say average to above average level, when we start thinking about digital engagement um, and potentially even self-service digital engagement where I'm not on a Zoom call, but I'm actually creating a portal for the KOLs to visit and to self-service. Then some very interesting ideas start to emerge. So let me give you one example. So we're currently working with a client, thinking about how they can create a medical portal. And the portal is specifically designed to act as a resource for key opinion leaders and HCPs to be able to come to the portal um, with key questions, find information and extract it from that portal. So let's talk about impartiality and putting the patient first. So we know this is going to be a company portal, right? It's going to be branded by the company that creates it. So, What we have to do in order to demonstrate that we are putting the patient first, that this is not just company, a company portal towing the company line, which it may may be in fact, but so what could you do? So they are adding external data sources. For example, they're adding links and modules within the um, portal that link to the CDC, for example. That link to highly recognized external sources. So not only are you seeing the company information, you at the same time seeing a drop-down or a slide with all the latest CDC information, etc. So thinking again purposefully, the principle is I need to m- deliver information through this channel, this portal. I can improve the perception that we're putting the patient first and remove the the misperception of partiality and bias by linking in independent data sources which reaffirm and validate the information that I'm sharing. So that's just on a, an, on one level, a very practical example of how this principle could be applied. These principles can be applied irrespective of the channel.
2: Okay, that's great. That's really helpful, Mark. I'm going to move over to Brian now because this discussion uh, overlaps the work we, you've been doing in the digital opinion leader identification space. So give us an overview of the types of channels where companies may find these digital opinion leaders?
1: Yeah, we've been doing a lot of work, Paul, um, helping a lot of biopharmaceutical companies uh, as they begin to assess the digital space and and figure out uh, medical affairs role in the space. And, you know, there are certain channels that, do predominate in the space. Um, uh, Twitter uh, is, a, is a longtime channel among the what you might think of as traditional social networks where thought leaders in virtually any profession uh, exert their expertise. Um, healthcare has come along, especially in the last few years, uh, even among traditional key opinion leaders, Uh, We're seeing an uptick in participation in places like Twitter, um, to a certain degree, Facebook and LinkedIn, Um, some notable forums like Reddit, uh, which is especially built for uh, all kinds of people, whether you wanted to do peer-to-peer exchange or do something in collaboration uh, to impact patients. Uh, patient education Um, but it's it's really important when you're looking at this space and how to engage in it that there are what are the main channels where you can have the most impact like those I listed as well as some where a lot of the thought leaders like to diversify into like more video centered channels like YouTube Um, and it's just important to know you know what to do uh, on a, at a per channel level. Like they all have their lingo. Some some use hashtags and some don't. Um, but your 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 digital opinion leaders are in a way self identifying by where they've chosen to participate. Where they may welcome your engagement if it's based on that level of pure. Uh, Unbiased, novel, relevant scientific exchange, as Mark was sharing, what, what was happening in the analog world for years and years, and then recently, places like Zoom and portals, like he was talking about.
2: Okay, that's great, Brian. Well, the rise of social and digital media extends beyond the impact of the traditional KOLs that have been around for a long time. So, what types of stakeholders? should companies focus on in building these relationships in the new media settings?
1: Well, so again, you know, from a medical affairs perspective, you know, medical affairs organizations have traditionally focused a lot of their direct MSL engagement on KOLs, but they've also supplemented their main MSL group with specialty liaisons of uh, And I'm thinking of some of the companies we've worked with, Paul, where they will have groups targeted at medical associations. For example, they'll have folks who routinely engage with patient advocacy organizations. Um, And so it's important to realize that what you see that's important from a stakeholder perspective in the analog world is equally true and who's shaping your digital space and who you need to be in near constant engagement with. So that, it obviously starts with the KOLs. Um, we've been looking at this space for about nine years. And when we first started looking at it, and I remember Mark adding some validating questions to some of our early KOL survey work. Uh, we were seeing about 5 to 10 percent KOL participation by therapeutic area. And that's really jumped quite a bit Um, in the last two to three years. We're seeing that participation rate at the very low end is 10 percent. But now the sweet spot is 15 to 20 percent of analog KOL participation. Some therapeutic areas that are less referral-driven and more consumer-driven, things like plastic surgery or sports medicine, Um, those folks are participating at even higher levels. Those can be higher than 30%. And so are you going to shape a therapeutic area with 20% of one group? And the answer to that is no. Unfortunately, in digital, there's a lot of activity, good activity, Uh, educational activity going on with the uh, medical societies. Some of them like ASCO, the big cancer group here in the States. um, They were real forerunners in this area. They were tweeting and hashtagging conferences six, seven years ago when most people in medical and healthcare had no idea what was going on on social. And so they're playing a big role. You see uh, lots of accounts tied to provider institutions, um, even health plans. Uh, You're seeing partnerships among these different stakeholders. And we actually think there's a bigger opportunity to even go beyond what these different stakeholders are doing and looking at treating physicians and allied health professionals, NPs, PAs, pharmacists, who are often younger and who are choosing the same communication venues and media that they grew up with. They're, they're the the first digital generation to finish medical school and go into practice or go into you know, becoming a pharmacist. So those folks are, they've got a lot to say. Their opinions are valid. They're, they're in the field. They're treating, they're contributing to the conversation. And a lot of companies, I can tell you, are now looking at this a couple different ways. They're saying, maybe we should make a criterion for analog KOL selection that they participate robustly in the digital space or and or we can pull in people to our advisory boards who who might be doing less traditional publishing and research, but they're communicating great information based on their patient population and their treatment work.
3: The other key element is at this point, since this is relatively new, both the channel of engagement and the type of KOL, this digital KOL or HCP, um, a lot of work still needs to be done to determine what are the, so we've got the measures, right? We've got more measures than we need. But for example, how long, should a call, a virtual Zoom call be, for example? Is it more effective if it's a 15-minute call or a 25-minute call? We don't know at this point. Um, Do you, should you be speaking face-to-face on a Zoom call, or should you actually bring up the scientific study and go through key points? Now, Uh, Should it be a synopsis or should it be the full research paper? So these benchmarks we don't have yet. We are actively doing this type of research at the moment. But until we have more data, um, coming back to the design of the experience, that you own the design, you need to design that experience to maximize effectiveness of communication and input. uh, That is still... Uh, it's still in process if we will and over time we will learn and there will be certainly data data driven key principles that we can apply beyond those that we've spoken about today um but for example be able to help companies and say look if the call was not a minimum of 18 minutes we believe it's going to be significantly less effective and the impact's going to be significantly less than if that call could have been 24 minutes or more. Great
1: points, as always, Mark. Um, Thanks again to you, our friend Paul Mead, for joining. Uh, We'll be back soon discussing more of our work, uh, helping our clients drive their businesses and impact patients.
3: Thanks again, Mark. Thank you, Brian. Always interesting, and thank you, Paul.
0: Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to ClearPoints on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify so you won't miss our next episode coming soon. Clear Points is a production of ClearPoint Health and the Parklife Podcast Network.